Good morning. Good morning. Hi. These are our lovely children. And they, boys in the back, come on up. Got spots for you. And we are going to sing for you some Christmas carols. So. Come on, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Wyatt, move down. All right, here we are. And we are so excited to be here, right? Yeah. So we're going to sing a, so a couple songs and we're going to smile. And we are so excited. All right, here we go. All right, one more. Well, thank you, kids. That was amazing. 
Several of them told me they were going to be doing that this, to this morning. They were asking if they could have the whole drums and everybody singing with them today. And one of them offered to even play the drums with us. He mainly wanted to play the cymbals. And we also thought that was a great idea until mom and dad told me it wasn't a great idea, but that's okay. So are we ready to worship this morning? We're glad, are we ready to worship this morning? Oh, that's good, okay. I just wanted to make sure the kids woke us everybody up. That's, that's good to be here. Welcome to Lighthouse Community Church this morning. We're glad you're all here. Feel free to stand with us, and we're going to sing a little worship this morning a couple times. We are in the third Sunday of Advent this morning. That means that we're on Rose Sunday, so this, this Sunday is joy. Go ahead. Let's count it out, brother.
Thank you guys so much for being here and for those of you who came from our preschool and lent us your children today, thank you for leading us into worship with your kids. Thanks for letting us borrow them. Um, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here and I am so grateful that we get to celebrate Christmas together. There's a lot of things coming up that I want to let you know about, two in particular. The first is when you came in, either you saw that big toy chest out in front or more likely your kids saw it. That's not for them. This is for, we are trying to collect over 2,000 toys for families in our community that have less than us, and we have a couple of ways that you can participate in that. First is, if you want to grab a toy for a kid, what's the age range? Um, newborn to 12. Newborn to 12. So if you've got a kid somewhere in there, have them help you, and you can let them know that these are for families that have far less than you. You can grab a toy and you can bring it at any point over the next couple of weeks. The second way you can help us is this Wednesday night, we're having dinner across the street in the family room from 6 to 7. That's what we do every week. 
Um, and so if you guys want to figure out how to feed your families on a Wednesday night and you haven't thought about it, come and join us. And directly after that, at 7 o'clock, we are going to have a wrapping party. And it's the part where I, I can't wrap normally, but I can, you know, I can put stuff in trash bags. So some of you who know what you're doing, come and help me out so that they actually look good. All right? So that's happening on Wednesday. You can grab a flyer here to find out more information. They're out in the foyer. Second thing I want to let you know about. We have cards. These are invitations to our Christmas Eve service, which is going to be on the 24th in here at 4.30 p.m. It's 4.30 to 5.30. It's a one-hour family service. It's a traditional candlelight service. We're going to just walk through the gospel of Luke together, the Christmas story that we know so well. We're going to get to sing Christmas songs together. We're going to get to light our candles together, and we're going to get to celebrate uh, the the birth of Jesus Christ. It, and so these invitations are in the foyer, but they're not for you because I've already given you your invitation. You are invited. Please come and join us. These are for people in your sphere of influence that don't have a church already that they're going to be participating in to invite them to come and join you. So if you have neighbors, grab a small stack of these, take them and begin to pass them out to the neighbors that you have been cultivating relationship with over the course of this last couple of years. Make sure that you invite people to come with you because it is going to be a really wonderful, sweet time together. With that, we are in the season of Advent, and Advent simply means coming, and it's a, it's a time to prepare our hearts, not only for the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas so that we don't miss the whole reason for this season, but also to prepare our hearts for the second coming of Christ when he is going to come and restore all things and wipe away every tear, and we're looking forward to that but we're not there yet. And so in the midst of that season, today we get to celebrate joy. And I'm going to invite Bill Nelson, our outreach pastor, to come and share with us about joy. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And yes, I'm going to be nice today because basically I get to um, share from the Word of God. This is actually my favorite thing to do. And so I am, I am very honored and, and blessed to be able to do this today. And the great thing is I got to, um, while I was studying this this week, I found out a couple of really cool new things in, in the Word of God as I, as I was studying. And so we're going to look at Luke 2, um, verses um, 8 through 20. We're going to read uh, all of that story together. And it's a story that we do um, hear a lot at this time of year. And as Eric said, we're in the third week of Advent, which is the week of joy. And the week of joy, and it's actually, as we look at these candles, you don't see them, and, and many times you see the Advent wreath. How many of you are familiar with the Advent wreath? Do you, does anybody have them? Go ahead and raise your hands high. I want to just see how many. So you know that there are usually three purple candles and one kind of a pink or a rose-colored. It's really um, the rose-colored candle, which is like the liturgical color for joy. And it's rose has always been the color for joy. And it comes basically from the second century. My family says, don't get caught up in the teaching of all the colors and getting into the history and all that fun stuff. But so that is the, the week of joy. And it is basically from when the angels brought the message of, behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which we're going to read here in just a second. So Mark, if you want, if, you're, if you've got Bible with you, please turn to the second chapter of Luke, the book of Luke which is the uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So if it's the third chapter, if 
you go to John, you got to go, you've gone too far, but if you're looking in the Gospels, it is the third Gospel. So, Please turn to that if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the, underneath the seats in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take those home because they are put there so you can take them home. And we're going to put it up on the screen. Mark, if you want to start there, and we're going to look at Matt, uh, Luke 2, and we're going to start in verse 8 there. And there were shepherds uh, living out in the fields nearby, uh, keeping their watch over their flocks at night. Go ahead, and we'll just keep going all the way through them. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. <laughs> I kind of would be too. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. With the angel had left them, gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been, what had been told them about this child. I'm going through the other translation in my brain as I'm reading this. And all who heard them were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they were just as they had been told. So we're going to go break those first four verses down. I'm going to go back to verse 8 in just a minute. Because there's some interesting things about that story. Many of us from the time we were small had been told this story. And you see it all over the billboards. You see it. It's shared all around um, Everybody has many parts of this story. It gets advertised in all kinds of greeting cards. Um, you see it in posters. You see it everywhere around. But here's the interesting thing about it. When these little shepherd boys were told this, they had, no, they had a different perspective on the message. And the more interesting thing about the story is that when they told their families about this story and what the angels had told them, their fathers, grandfathers, mothers, grandmothers had an even deeper perspective of the story. And here's why. To them it meant something completely different than it did to the rest of us. Let's look at verse 8 again, Mark, if you would put that back up. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. These shepherd boys, they were between the ages of 9 and 13, maybe sometimes 14. These were young boys. And they were used to living out in these countries, and they were the night shift. Sometimes 
they did live out there, but they lived out there for maybe 10 days to two weeks, sometimes longer, up to three months, actually. And these boys were out there because they had one job, and that's to make sure that these, these sheep stayed safe because those were, that was the living for their family. And their job was to make sure that lions and, and different things, wolves didn't come and take. Their job was to basically kill anything that tried to take or steal their sheep. So that was their job. And they basically had one, one thing to do. They would tell each other stories. They would play games. They would do all kinds of things to keep themselves busy. But the main thing was to keep those sheep together. They didn't know very much else. Sometimes they were considered not very clean. They were considered not very smart. They were considered those that basically, when people talked about them in the city, they talked about them, oh yeah, they're just shepherd boys. You know, they didn't know much. So why did God choose them to be the ones to get the message of the Savior of the world? See, when you go to Bible school, seminary you start asking these weird questions well at least I did you know Eric probably did too because we know how he thinks well actually nobody knows how he thinks but that's different if you do know how he thinks and I'm concerned for you and I'll pray for you even more so anyways but the whole thing is this we don't we, we, we wonder why God would choose the shepherds to tell this story to because they're not known as the most intelligent but here's the thing about shepherd boys. If you give them a message to give to somebody, they're going to repeat it verbatim. They're going to repeat it without adult prejudice. They're going to repeat it the way it is given to them from whom it is given. In other words, if the angel appears to them and gives them a message to share, they're going to share it like the angel told them to share it. And I'll share with you in a second why that is very important. So they're not going to worry about why they're having to tell this story. They're just going to tell them what it is about. So it says the angel of the Lord. So it's a heavenly being. And, and so this, these kids, as they're sharing their sheep, they're not going to think about what they're doing or filtering what the people think. They don't care what the people think when they share their story. So they're going to share the story it is. Now, it says that in verse 9, that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, here's the interesting part about that. When the angel appeared to them, the actual really, the text really says that the, when the angel appeared to them, you know, we always think of the angel being up in the sky and they're looking up and going, wow, the angel's up there. Now, the angel, the part about this. Now, yes, Bill was raised in the west side of Long Beach in the 70s. Okay, don't judge me. Yes, it was in the 70s, and I do not want to hear how many of you were not born yet or what year you were born, because I know he wants to tell me. Because, see, in the 70s in Long Beach, it would have been, you know, the angel would have walked up to us and said, you know, something like, behold, you know, something like that. But in the west side of Long Beach, he would have said, yo, what's happening? What'd it be like? We'd have said, it'd be like, wow. <laughs> and then... He would have said, gentlemen, no matter what age we were, because that's the way we talked to each other back then, something's up. And then he would have given us a message, a very specific message. 
But in that message, he would have had their attention. As the angel appeared to them, no, the appearing to them means that he actually stood next to them. The angel was on the ground. When it says he appeared next to them, he stood among them. He stood next to them. He wanted them to be, they were afraid, yes, because he just appeared. His glory was bright. He was all around them. But he came down and he stood next to them so that they would get the message clear. You see, when God gives us a message, he is not going to scare us into, he's, he said to them, don't be afraid, obviously. He wanted them to get the message. But when God gives you a message, it's going to be clear. But why is it that when God gives us messages, the first thing we say is, well, that can't be right. Why do we tell God always, oh, well, that's, that was not, you know, God didn't really say that. You know, God didn't really say that. What was the first thing the serpent said to Eve? Yeah, God didn't, you know, you're not going to die if you eat that fruit. God didn't really say that. So the question then becomes, who really is saying God didn't really say that? Anyways, so we, we have to ask ourselves, if God is telling us a message and it's very clear, could I just ask why we don't do it? Just thought I'd throw it out there. I'll give you that one for free. I won't even charge you extra. So in verse 9, we get to that, and he says, they shone around them. That brightness that it talks about, by the way, is the brightness of a comet from the sun. So that could be blinding. And then as he starts to speak, the brightness goes away, and he start, get, begins to give them the message. And then we go into verse 10. When he begins to talk, it's in a language that they understand. And the angels and the shepherds begin to realize when he says, fear not. I love how he says that, fear not. Because, right, an angel standing before you and he says, fear not. Oh, okay. Yeah, I won't be afraid. God's voice comes out of a, a heavenly being and I'm not going to be afraid. I'm sorry, I have a problem. Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit of afraid. Are you here to smite me, take me down, or what? Wait a minute. And then what's the first thing? Okay, so an angel of the Lord comes before you, and you're standing there. An angel of the Lord stands before you, and the first thing that comes into your mind is what? All the things I did bad. Because <laughs> the first thing in my head is, what did I do today? Or what have I done in the last three, six months, two years, five, ten years? Because when we start seeing God's face, we want to start apologizing. No, Lord, I really didn't mean to do that. Well, I... But God, when I did that, it was because of this. God, when I did that, it was because of this. And see, what we have to understand is he already knew. It's not like he went, Bill, I didn't see that coming. You know, he kind of already knew it was there. You didn't fool him. I always like it that when I say, hey, God, I'm going to go do this thing over here. You hang out right in the corner. I'll be right back. Like he's going to sit there. And then I turn around and look up. Wait, God, no. I said, wait, wait around the corner. I'll be right back. Wait, you're still going to go? Okay, then I'm not going to go. And he thinks, good idea. <laughs> What's wrong with you? We have to realize and understand something. No matter what we do or think we're going to do, God is still going to be there. 
There's nothing that we can do that he is not there amongst us. So when we think about doing those things, and then we feel guilty, lady, for doing them, is it the fact that God tempted us or we chose to be tempted and go through it and do it anyways? No, it's that the falling is of our own volition. And the reason that I share all of this stuff is not to throw guilt out first, because in all of our guilt, in all of our walking in darkness, in all of the falling down that we're doing, it's not the falling down part that God is concerned with. It's all about the getting up. It's all about the fact that God is the most proud. When Job was being tortured and all the stuff that he was going through and he kept getting up it was God who said see that's my son he keeps getting up and that's what makes God smile because <laughs> we keep getting up and here's why because this whole message in Luke 2 is all about verse 11 let's look at verse 11 born to you Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. I'm going to rearrange the wording a little bit. You can just leave that up there for a minute. Because I would like to picture, make a scene for you to see. So the boys get the message from the angel. And they're really, they, they, the angel gets ready to leave, and the angel is gone now. And they, they come back, and it says that they, they heard about this, and they want to go see, but first they're thinking, you know what, i got to go tell Papa about this. And they go back to their homes, and they go back in, and, and each one of them, there's four or five of them usually, and two of the boys are staying to stay with the, going to stay with the sheep because then the other four are saying, look, you got to stay here. i got to go tell Papa about this. And they go home, and they go, and their grandfather and their father, and they usually stay in, in family groups in their homes, and Papa, grandfather and father are there, and they run in, and they're talking so fast, and pretty soon Papa says, wait, 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 slow down. And he says, listen, listen, I got to tell you, Papa, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, here's what happened. And he begins to tell them about the angel's encounter. And they said, wait, 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 an angel came, yes, an angel came, and his brightness was clear, and here's who he was, and here's, and pretty soon they start to talk, and they start to say, he says, slow down, slow down, and the boy begins to speak, and the boy says, Oteic text they, say, Merone Soter es estén Cristo curios en pole David. Whoa, 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 whoa. Again, again. Papa, papa. O te texte. Omense Rone Soter sin este Cristo curios en pole David. In Polea David, Papa, today in the town, born to you this day is a Savior who is Christ the Lord in the city of David. And Papa looks at him in the city of David. Because you see, here's the thing Papa. And dad knows one more thing that the young boys don't know. 
300 years have separated when another prophet by the name of Micah had waited a very long time to hear from God. It had been a long time since Habakkuk, Zechariah, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah had spoken to the people of Israel because they had not heard anything from God. And this message from this angel was the first time that Israel had heard anything from God. God had not spoken to his people for three to four hundred years. Some people say 200, 300, 400. I don't care how long it's been. It's been a long, dark time for Israel. They hadn't heard. And now when God speaks, he speaks to these children. What's going on here? What is happening? And then the message they hear is that through these little boys. And here's why Papa's freaking out. Because when Micah told them, he said to them, Oh, to you, Israel. Men of Israel, and you, Bethlehem, though you are small among nations, out of you will come one, the ruler chosen of God's, from God to be ruler all of the nations, and he will come from Bolin City, David, the city of David. Papa begins to get chills. Because he's remembering that as he studied the prophets and heard the words of Micah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he begins to hear those words ring in his head. That as a young teenager, when he's beginning to learn the prophets and the books of wisdom, Job and Solomon, and he's beginning to remember the Psalms, He's starting to remember what it means to hear about the Messiah who's coming to change the world and return rule to Israel over the Romans. And they're expecting a mighty giant savior coming in on a war horse. But he has a problem because now it says, Merone Soter in that verse. You see that word savior. And here's the part that I just learned this week. That word Savior in that verse 11. That is the only place in all of the Gospels that that word is mentioned. That is the only place in all of the New Testament that that word is written. Because that is the only place that Jesus himself is called the Savior of the world. And it is only named him when he is born. When he's on the cross, when he is risen, all through his life, his 33 years on this earth, he is never called the savior of the world like he is in that verse when he is born. It is amazing to me that the only time the savior of the world is called the savior of the world when he is the baby lying in the manger. The reason that I think that is so amazing, my dear family, is because we have to know one thing, that when that baby is born, he is born for everyone sitting in every chair in here, everyone sitting at home watching on this stream, 
and to every person that when he says to all the people. Because when it's said back and when it's born to all the people in this world back in verse 8 or 9, when he says to all the people, that is for every person born and it is in the future tense. Every person born from that day until all the days far beyond when we are gone. That baby, that Savior that is born. And he said to them, great joy for all people in verse 10. Thank you, guys. All people, that Savior, that baby born. I'm watching my time. That baby born. Great joy to all people. That means that no matter where you've been, what you've done, the darkness you see, the darkness you feel, in your loneliest times when you feel the farthest away from God, he never left. So guess who moved? He is there. That baby was born for you. I don't care what you did. He doesn't care what you did. What he cares about is that you come back. He cares that you come back. So if you're going to do anything this Christmas, you want to give the greatest Christmas present ever? Walk into the bathroom, wherever your mirror is. You want to give the greatest Christmas present ever? Give it to yourself. Come back to Jesus. Because that's the greatest Christmas present you could ever give. Verse 12, and this is a sign that you will find him after waiting your search. The babe in swathing clothes lying in a manger. After your search, the sign to you that you will find right that the search they're talking about, the 300 years. That word for search is the one that's talking about a search that has lasted a very long time. We're not talking about the three months, the month, the whatever. We're talking about an extended search that they've been waiting for. Isn't that amazing that they're, <clears throat> as these young boys are giving the message in Aramaic, Greek, or whatever, like they could be even speaking in Hebrew, but Papa and Dad understand when they give this message from the angel, they're hearing the message in a language that helps them to understand that the angel is giving them a message from a long time ago. So you see, for us, we're reading it in 21st century English. And it means to us a beautiful story. It means to us a story of joy. And as we look at these candles, and we see these candles that bring a light to us, and they're beautiful, and we get to talk about them. And we get to see them, and we get to watch them as they as they, they bring the light of joy to us in our home. But when you think about what this joy really means to a world that looks really ugly right now, this morning as our worship team was praying, we were praying about the growth in crime, the growth in anger. Because that shows how joy is being lessened 
how we're losing our joy, that our joy is being robbed, that that candle is somehow getting snuffed out. And somehow we lose, we forget that joy doesn't have to be snuffed out. All of Israel waited for a long time for this to come back to. The amazing part of joy is this story of how God would reveal the joy of the Lord to all of them and to all of us. Because joy that they talk about here is the joy that is able to be stable in all of the darkest moments of our lives. And it can't be robbed unless we allow it to. It really can't. The only way we lose it is if we allow it to. And now I would like Sherry Rothenberg, and yes, most of you know that she is my daughter. She's also our children's director, as you saw this morning. And she's always loved working with kids. And I'm going to ask her to share some thoughts on what it means on keeping joy in some very hard times. Hi. All right. Oh, wait. Hold on. I have to get my Kleenex because I, you know. But before I start, I want all the kids to stand up for a second. Like, shake it out. Shake it out. Take a break. Okay, I know this is not what we normally do. But, and before I start, I am going to do one thing that we normally do. So kids, listen. One, how many books in the Bible are there? What is it, Jax? No, not 23. Hurry quick. 66, say it. 66, okay, everyone. There are 66 books in the Bible. Everyone say it. 66. How many authors? Nope. I promise we know this. 40. 40 authors. First book of the Bible. Genesis. Last book of the Bible. Go. Revelation. Thank you, Jackson. First book of the New Testament. Matthew. Last book of the Old Testament. Starts with an M. Say it, Troy. Yes! Malachi. Thank you. All right. That's it. That's our, uh, that's our Sunday morning Bible drill. We're getting back to some of the basics. <laughs> All right. So I saw a meme a few years ago that uh, had a picture of Noah in the flood with the ark, and it was a mess. And it said, God never gives you more than you can handle, but he must have mistaken me for Noah because it's flooding here. And I'm sure most of us can relate to that phrase at some point in our lives. And I know I'm here to talk to you about joy 
but I don't think that I can talk about joy without first addressing the things that keep us from our joy. And I imagine if I were to list all of the things that keep us from experiencing joy that we all have experienced many, if not all or some, of the same things throughout our lives. However, this last year, which I'm going to count 2020 and 2021 as one year, as one single moment in time, because I, I don't even know what, when it started, when it ends, who could know? But this particular moment in time has been very hard for my family. And if I were to characterize it, I would tell you that we have experienced profound loss and grief. And most of the time we experience or we associate the word uh, grief with the loss of a life. However, I, throughout this time period, we have experienced the loss of our expectations, our plans, our jobs, relationships, friendships, moments that we had hoped to experience, and the list goes on. The losses began in January of 2020, even before the pandemic began. My joy for the year had begun to take a hit. In February, I quit a job that I loved because of some ownership decisions that kind of affected everyone in the company. In March, a week before schools closed, we had made the decision to homeschool Sophia. We pulled her out of a school that I had been active in for almost nine years with a less than amicable, amicable goodbye. On March 13th, 2020, as we all know, Dylan came home from seventh grade choir and said, we have two weeks off, no homework, we are free forever. And I was like, dude, you got two weeks. And then we all know what happened, right? It was the longest spring break we've ever experienced. I watched their joy and excitement for the things we had planned over the next few months vanish. Canceled birthday parties, trips, water polo games, dance recitals, etc. I watched Sorry, guys. <laughs> I watched my son sink into a deep depression that I knew wasn't who he was. And I knew at that point we had to do something or we all weren't going to make it. And as an adult with a background in social work and sociology, I know how to deal with people's emotions. I can help you walk through emotions logically. But what I hadn't been taught in a textbook is how as a mom to not only handle my own grief of the things that I was losing, but also walk my children through grief and emotions that they had no idea how to deal with. And so we had to change something. So the first thing we did was family game time. And every day, Sunday through Saturday, 
From 2 p.m. to 3 p.m., we would play a game, a board game, all of us. Whoever was in the house, four of us, six of us, three of us, however many were there, we all sat down and played a game. And it lasted generously, maybe for a couple months, as you can imagine. The Uno flip box quickly turned into a sign of war. If it wasn't my turn to choose a game, was it your turn to choose a game? Game time wasn't working. So then we attempted many of the things I'm sure we all did. We took walks around the neighborhood, trendy new recipes of fancy coffee, banana bread. Dylan, my son, attempted to, per to perfect his dumpling recipe. My daughter, Sophia, made the perfect pizza. And I made, for the very first time in my life, beef bourguignon from Julia Child's recipe book, which was a major thing for me. And these were all really great things that helped us in the moment. But they were not creating lasting change. So what now? I knew where I had to go. But as a recovering full-time ministry leader at the time, and a generational pastor's kid, which means I come from a really long line of pastors and missionaries and all of that, God and I had a still-working-some-things-out relationship. As in, I was still working some things out. And whenever I feel like I need to work things out, I go to the book of James. Which is funny, because the book of James is all about Christian living. So I don't know if it was me just liking James because the chapters are short and easy to read, or if it was God actually doing the working out. Probably both. But James is my favorite book in the New Testament. I have read and reread it very many times. And in the beginning, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And that day that I had opened it, at the end of another day, not being able to go on, and I read that, I was like, seriously, God, this is not the time. I do not have joy. There is no joy here. Have you looked around? So I closed it and put it away, threw a little temper tantrum, and said, I'll do this tomorrow. <laughs> so the next day, I opened it back up and told myself, you have to get through the first chapter. You can't put it down until you're done. Okay. So I read it again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I stopped, and I read, and I reread those two verses. And something about pure joy, all joy, count it all joy, started to bother me. How is that even possible? Do you see me, God? Do you see us? Do you see what we are going through? What does steadfastness, steadfastness mean? And how do I get it? I don't, I don't even know that I want it at this point. You are going to have to find another way to perfect my faith because my friends have walked away. 
My family is dying. Unemployment is ending. My kids are not in school. I am FaceTiming relatives because all of a sudden it's not safe to be in the same place. I am drowning. God, my kids are drowning. I can't. I cannot do it anymore. And I sat there. And in that still small voice, you're right. You're right, Sherry. You cannot. You, can, you cannot count it all joy on your own. There is nothing about this that you, Sherry Rothenberg, can do on your own. Period. And if you, Sherry, will just stop searching in all of the wrong places, he, the almighty God of this universe, he can. He can do it. So stop chasing new recipes. Stop chasing social media. And start with steadfast. So I did. The word steadfast, in case you're wondering, is an adjective, which means it describes something. And it says in the dictionary, fixed in direction, firm in purpose, and unwavering. So I read that, and I'm like, okay, seriously. So you're telling me that now all of this is supposed to put me fixed in some direction, firm in some purpose, and unwavering, I, I cannot, again, that silly word, I, I cannot. So I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And I know better than this because there have been times throughout my life where I've said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I'll just do it. That's sometimes, you know, been tricky. But this time, it was bring joy back to your family and to those around you. So I said, okay, I will bring joy to this family, but I can't do it, so I need you to show me. So he did, and it started with me. I got on my phone, got rid of the apps that were taking up my time, that were bringing me down, that were making me angry. Why was I so angry? Started focusing on the things that I can control in this life and let go of the things that I can't. I can't control the things, the decisions that were being made way above me. But I can control what I am putting in my brain and how I allow it to affect me. Then we started with our family. We started small. Getting back to things that were important to us. We hadn't seen our friends. We saw people that were important to us. And yes, it was Weird and uncomfortable to stand six feet apart and outside picnics, and sometimes we had to hug each other with masks on. But those moments are the moments that we started to heal. We got back to game time, although a little better this time, more realistic. We talked and we talked, and we drove our kids crazy with how much we talked. 
but we kept talking about how hard things were, but also how good things really were and how God was continuing to show us his faithfulness in the midst of this messy, messy world that we live in. And during that time, um, we, every year, as we talked about the things that were good, we decided that from here on out, we make uh, picture boards, picture collages of moments that remind us of God's faithfulness. Because we can talk about it, and we can talk about it, but it's more important that we have tangible reminders things that can show us in our human brains God's faithfulness. And so every year, I print pictures from the year, and during a night, we all get to pick a pile of photos that show us where our joy has been and how God has shown us his faithfulness. And as we got ready to do our 2020 board... Dylan was like, yeah, we didn't do anything. We're not going to have enough. And I was like, I promise you, there are going to be little things that we find. And so we did. So this is our 2020 board. This is our 2020 board. Full of good moments. And we did it. And we were able to fill a board. These are tangible reminders for our family of God's faithfulness because it helps us to remember that there was a germ that Sophia drew (laughs) and different things on the board. Thank you. And slowly, as we looked at these pictures, we got our joy back a little bit more. Now, let me be clear. Finding joy in this last year And having our photos up in our house does not mean that our grief has ended, that our losses have led up, and that everything's fine. Because I think, and I think my family would agree, that 2021 has been far harder than 2020 was. In fact, this board, as fun as it is, also is a reminder to some of the relationships that we lost, to some of our friends who've passed away. But we left it up because these are the moments that have brought us joy. And now I know that as we come to the end of another year, and it's going to be time for us to do our 2021 board pretty soon, And you may all not do a 2021 board, although I encourage you to find some photos from the last year and put them up. How can you find pure joy? How can you count it all joy as we head into a new year? So I'm going to give you a few little things. One, joy is an inner feeling. It's inside of you. Joy endures hardship and trials and connects with meaning and purpose, which means 
Joy goes beyond all of the bad stuff that's outside these doors. Joy is cultivated internally. That means it's up to me. It's up to each of you. Someone else can't give you lasting joy. You have to choose it. You have to take it. It can't be dependent upon outside influences. What this person says or what this person says, no. You have to do it. It is inside of you. And it is something that can coexist with grief and loss and sadness and happiness. Joy doesn't have to change when the situations change. Finally, I have one last slide. And it says, joy is not a destination. Joy is not at the end of the road. Joy is the road. Joy, this joy, this joy is the road. And there are going to be crashes and road construction and just yucky things that happen. But it is up to each of us to choose joy. So my friends, it is my prayer that not only through this holiday season, but throughout the next year that you will find ways to cultivate and keep joy inside of you, inside of your being, so that God can continue to produce steadfastness, protecting your faith, perfecting your faith, so that you will be lacking in nothing. And when the trials of this world try to steal your joy, I pray that you will remember God's faithfulness and face this world with unwavering, deep-seated joy that only he can give you. This world needs joy, the joy that only Jesus can put inside of us. We have to choose that joy and then we have to go share it with them. But it has to start with each one of us first. Thank you, friends. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. You know, as we think about joy... We want to thank the one who brought it, that baby. Because as he came as a babe, that babe came to go to the cross. And remember that babe came and his name was Emmanuel. And as he came, we can't help but remember that even them, even those people who, who understood who he was in their language, they began to hear and see and understand and know that he was the one who would eventually become the one who would save the world simply because of the the language that was spoken. 
He wasn't going to be the mighty warrior in the apocalyptic literature, which, by the way, we'll be talking about soon, next month. He wasn't the dragon slayer, but he was the babe in the manger. If you wish to uh, stand while we sing this song, you can.
You're going to stay standing. I'm going to have all the kids uh, come down here. So when I talk about joy, something that brings me great, deep joy is singing. You can stay down here. It's all right. You guys can stay down here. Stay down here. You can stand up. And I mean like deep, deep joy. Brings me sing, uh, joy singing, with, and especially with kids. And we asked them earlier to come up here and to sing away in a manger and jingle bells and to do all these motions for you. And I just thought it would just bring me so much joy to share a song with all of you. But you're going to do it with me. So you're going to stay standing, and you're going to do the motions with me. <laughs> all right, guys? So, you're going to stand up over here. Kids, can you turn around up here and face me? Come over here. You're going to face me, and we're going to do these motions together. So, church, there's one thing that's really important that you have to do. You have to do, and Pastor Jeff has promised me that he is going to do it with me. So, at some point in the song, it says, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la
of God. Here we go again. Can you hear the sound? The angels singing out. Jump. Sing and shout it. And this is Christmas. Nice job, kids. Woo! All right, so can we just say thank you to our, our kids and Sherry for loving on us today? I gotta tell you, I know, I know, I know that we have been through a lot the last couple of years, and I'm so grateful for the ways that you've modeled for us that vulnerability. I got to tell you, one of the things I am most joyful for is the way that God has led you and your family to us and our family, and the way you're loving on our kids. I, as a parent, am incredibly grateful for the investment you're making in them. Um, and so today is a day of great joy. And I think about, I think about that meme that you, you started out with, that whole, like, I know that God never gives us more than we could handle, but I wish he didn't think I could handle this much because I feel like I'm Noah. I think that God often gives us way more than we can handle. I think he's given you way more than you can handle, but he never gives us more than he can handle. And that's the reminder for us today as our joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. It's dependent upon our identity and our relationship with him. Because despite how crazy the world feels, despite how out of control we feel, He's still in control, and that's the hope that we have. That is where our shalom, our peace comes from. And guys, I am so grateful that we get to do life together, that we get to be family because of him. A um, couple of, of housekeeping items. If you guys, giving-wise, you can give in the back in the boxes, but if you're visiting today, if you brought your kids and you just wanted to come celebrate, we're not asking you to give a thing. The only thing I would love to know is that you were here so maybe you can grab the connection card that's in the seat back in front of you and just let us know that you were here. Let us know of a way that we can um, let you know of some upcoming opportunities to get involved here. And you can drop those in the offering boxes instead. Um, secondly, I hope that you will join us both next Sunday and then again on Christmas Eve as we get to 
prepare our hearts to really celebrate this season. Thirdly, kids, Sherry's got candy, and whoever, whoever can pick up the most confetti gets the most candy. That is your encouragement. Pick that confetti up. Have a wonderful week. Merry Christmas. Mark, we're still hot.